Hello, and welcome to the Revive Church podcast with Pastor Todd Mozingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Revelation 12:4 tells us that Satan was cast out of heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him. These became the demons. Their job now is to torment us, God's people, if we let them. Many churches teach that demons were just an Old Testament thing or something in the Gospels, and we don't really have to deal with them anymore. The question is, where do they think they went? Pastor Todd teaches us that demons are mentioned over 83 times in the New Testament. 25% of Jesus' ministry dealt with demons. Jesus gave us authority over those demons. Demons have a will of their own, and they have emotions, knowledge, self-awareness. They can speak our language. Demons deceive, lie, and oppress. They also can be responsible for illnesses, physical, emotional, and mental. Let's listen in as Pastor Todd teaches us about this very important topic. Please listen to the end for some important information. Y'all ready to get into it? controversial subject, but the not right night to talk about it. Yeah. 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 This is what I want you to do. Um, I've got weeks of information that we're going to go through within an hour. Okay. So we're going to go fast and hard and heavy. So just pay attention, be prepared, uh, get ready because, uh, there are some people in this room that are going to get delivered tonight. They're going to get delivered. I don't mind saying for me, deliverance started about uh, 18, 20 years ago was the first time I was in the presence of a demon and, and, and Jesus name cast them out and they growled at me and hissed at me. And it was that fight or flight moment my first time. But I'm going to tell you that once you understand who you are and who they are, you don't have to worry about that fear thing. You just got to do the job you've been given to do. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about what are demons. Now you can go read every book and go through everything. So I'm just going to say it this way in the most obvious way. If you read Revelation 12:4, it says that when Satan was cast out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him and they were cast down to the earth. And so we know that's our baseline of the demons we deal with. They are created angelic beings who have turned against God and become demonic on this earth. Uh, what do they do on this earth? This is what they do. They torment. Emotionally and physically, they torment. They tempt. They lure you away from God. And if you allow them, they can rule over you. Stay with me. The Bible talks a lot about demons. It's kind of interesting how many churches just look at the whole demonic thing and say, oh, that was just kind of an Old Testament, new first century thing. And my question is, where do you think they went? <laughs> I don't remember reading uh, in the book of Jude that they all got rounded up and put in a cage somewhere until Jesus returns. They're still here. They're still active. We're still doing battle against them. 83 times demons are mentioned in the New Testament. 25% of Jesus's ministry had to do with dealing with demons. 
Jesus sent us out with authority over demons. Matthew 10, 1, we'll talk about that. Mark 16, 17, believers are going to be casting out demons. Acts 16, 18, Paul cast a spirit out of a woman. Mark 1, 21 through 28, Jesus cast out unclean spirits. Let me tell you a little something about demons. They have a will. Mark 5, 11, they ask, can you put us into the swine? They have a will. They have emotion. James 2.19, they believe that God is God and they tremble. They have knowledge, Mark 1.21-28, they knew who Jesus was. Do you remember this with the skiva? We know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? Acts 16, 8, um, I'm sorry. They have a self-awareness in Mark 5, 9. Jesus asked the demons their name and they answered what is their name. We are legion. They have an ability to speak. Mark 1, 26, spirit cried out their name. Mark 5, 9, my name is legion. Acts 19, 15, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And they teach a false doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, they're seducing spirits and demons that have doctrines of demons. Demons torment you, they lie to you, they deceive you, and if you are beset, hear me out, if you are beset by a long-standing illness, a long-standing affirmity, the feelings of depression, the feelings of suicide, most of the time we're talking about a demonic presence. Do you remember the woman who was bent over and Jesus said, I'm going to cast that demon out of you and she straightened up, but she had been over for years and years and years, but it was a demonic presence that had her crippled over. But this is what I want to tell you. And you need to write this down. You need to keep this in the, in the notebooks of your mind here. Demons have power, but they have no authority. Now, power is the ability to do something, but authority is the right to be able to do it. So a piece of dynamite has power, but without the authority of the match, it cannot exercise its power. So authority outranks power. Are you with me? Authority outranks power. And I believe that deliverance can be a normal part of church ministry. I'm about to blow your mind. I've been delivered of demonic presence. I believe in the way that the demons work and I understand them and I understand the oppression of them. We're going to talk more about them tonight, but this is what I want to say to you. Stop being afraid. This is not a scary movie. This is the reality of the spiritual realm that we live in, but you have authority. Mm. So, uh, you know, churches that say, well, we don't do all that demonic stuff. All I can say is maybe no lost people ever come to your church. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Okay, but here's the big question. Here's the big question that everybody always asks me when we start talking about demons. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Listen, there are two things you have to understand to be able to answer that question correctly. The two things that you have to understand is what is possessed in the New Testament, and two, what is the body, the soul, and the spirit, and how do they work together? 
I'm going to walk you through that tonight so you can understand what goes on. When the Bible in the New Testament speaks of people being demon-possessed, it does so 14 times. It talks about someone who is demon-possessed. And there are many believers who think Christians cannot have demons. I was just going to see how that went over. (laughs) I want to give you evidence tonight, and then I'll let you decide. Most of the time, the argument for Christians cannot be oppressed or possessed by a demon is based on these two scriptures. The first one, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. It says, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has the light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Bilal? Or what is a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So the line of thinking is, if there is light, the Holy Spirit in you, then there cannot be darkness. In other words, sin and the Holy Spirit can't dwell in the same place. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Do you sin? So sin and the Holy Spirit are in the same place. Place. See, the problem with using this scripture is this scripture is talking about marriage. It's talking about the fact that you can't have two people with different goals. One, the goals of God, and one, the goals of the enemy, and put them together in a marriage. Paul is telling you, these things don't go together. Christ doesn't hang out with the devil. He doesn't. Light doesn't hang out with darkness. These are things that need to be separated So are God and the demons going to work together? No. Do they coexist? Listen, is God omnipresent? And then if he's everywhere and our demons here, then they coexist. They're not buddies, but they coexist. So think about it. Sin can coexist with the spirit-filled believer So spiritual darkness and light can actually be in the same person. And anybody found that sin is no influence in your life as a believer, I need to talk to you. I want to figure out how you got there. Mm. But there's a consecration process going on in my soul. Let's go to the next scripture. The next scripture. The first one is talking about marriage. So let's not take it out of context and apply it in a way that it shouldn't be applied. The second one is James 3, 11 through 13. This is what it says. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? No, nor can salt water produce fresh So how can fresh water and salt water be coming out of the same place? How can the Holy Spirit and the demonic be coming out of the same place? That's the application that made. Here's the problem. The scripture is talking about the tongue. The scripture is talking about how can you do blessings and curses out of your same mouth? What Paul is trying to say is if you're a man of God, if you're a woman of God, blessings should be coming out of your mouth, not curses. They shouldn't be coexisting there. You shouldn't let that happen together. So we're taking a scripture about the tongue and we're applying it to demons and possession and it doesn't apply. So let me help you out here. Let's go back to that question. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? I said the first thing you have to understand is possessed. Possessed. If you look in Scripture, in the Greek, in the entire New Testament, the word for demon possession is daimonizomai. 
dynamizomai. means daimon being the, the demon part of it, zomai being the possession part of it. And if you look at the definition of daimonizomai, it means under the power of a demon. So the person is demon-possessed. They are under the power of a demon. Now remember, demons have power, but they have no authority. The word in the Greek used for ownership, I own a piece of land, is echo. And never is demoni and echo used together. There's never demon ownership. There can be, wait, why is there never demon ownership? Because you were bought with a price. You are owned by Jesus, okay? But there can be the opportunity for a demon to have a power over you. So when New Testament Greek speaks of demon possession, they are not talking about people who are owned by a demon. It is talking about people who have a demon who has a powerful influence over them. Are you with me? Stay with me. We're going to get all the way through this thing. So you cannot be owned by the enemy because you have been bought with a price. So we start by understanding the word demon possession in the New Testament. And demon possession does not mean that the demon can own you. It means that the demon has an authority, has a, I'm sorry, a power over you, has a power over you. He's exercising a power over you. So let's look at the second thing. And I think this opens the door for truly understanding how we work against the demonic. The understanding is that you're made of a body, a soul, and a spirit. I have a physical body that you're looking at. I have a soul. I have thought processes. I have a will. I have an emotion. That's all part of my soul. And then I have a spirit. And that spirit gets brought to life when I come to Christ. Let me show this to you in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now listen, Paul is talking to the, the Ephesians in Ephesus. And he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Does he mean you were all laying on the ground with no heartbeat? No, he doesn't mean you were physically dead. He's talking about something else. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh. Everybody say flesh. And of the mind. Everybody say mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, he made us alive in Christ. Are you ready? Okay, so what is he saying? 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, for the just and for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, small s. That's our spirit, not Holy Spirit. John 3, 6. Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. This story is so critical to understanding. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he says, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And he says, unless you be born again, Again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can I enter back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, it's not that, that's flesh. What is flesh is flesh, but what is spirit is spirit. And you must be born again in the spirit. So your spirit has to be born. You were born once out of your mother, but you have to be born in the spirit before God so that you can walk alive in Christ. The final scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you entirely. Now, if he just left it there, we wouldn't know what entirely means. But this is what he says. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how it works. Your spirit has to be born. When you believe in Christ, your spirit comes to life. You're made alive in Christ. Your body is being uh, sanctified one day when we get a new body. Your soul is in the process now of consecration, sanctification. You're in the process of renewing your mind, transforming your mind. So if you stay with me in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God. Now watch this. You have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. Your spirit is made alive when you come to believe in Christ. So now you're operating in that threefold trinity of God, body, soul, and spirit. And then he says you're the temple. Now watch this. Go imagine the temple The temple had an outer court, and in the outer court, there was an animal sacrifice that was made. There was the washing of hands in a laver, and there was an anointing of oil that took place in the outer courts. Listen to me. That's your body, the physical happening. Then you went into the holies, the first room inside the temple, and there there was a table of showbread. That's Jesus, my daily provision. There were candlesticks of light. That's Jesus, the light of the world. There was an incense altar so prayers could be offered up to God. Listen, that is my soul. It's where I'm praying. It's where I'm recognizing who Christ is. It's my soul. But beyond the veil was a place, listen to me, that sin could not enter into because it was the dwelling place of God. Now watch this. When you come to know Christ, where does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? He is spirit, therefore he dwells in your... So the Holy Spirit in the temple of God, Todd, dwells in Todd's spirit. And the spirit cannot have sin. Sin cannot enter into my spirit. My spirit is with the Holy Spirit. There is no sin in that place in my spirit. But in my soul, answer me, in your soul are there sins. It's called the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. We're still working on those things. He says, renew your mind, transform it, those kind of things. Is there sin in my body? It's called adultery. It's called drunkenness. Is there sins that take place? Yes. So listen to me. Evil and darkness can come after your body and your soul, but not your spirit. Mm, You're going to put it all together here in a minute. You're going to put it together. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. Among you, we too all formerly lived, we indulged in the desires of the flesh and in the mind because we, by nature, we were children of wrath, uh, even as the rest, but you were made alive in Christ. Something changed. Now you have something to battle with. You have a live spirit. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. All of a sudden, the game just changed. Listen to me. If you're not a believer and your spirit has not been brought to life, ready for the demons ready for the demons. You've got nothing to fight with. You've got nothing to fight with. Now watch. 
Sin can come into the outer courts, the body. If you look in the Bible, the Asherah idols that Ahaz put in the outer temple, uh, the, I mean that um, Ahaz put, the father of Hezekiah, he put in the outer temples. They had to clean those things out. Sin came into the holy place. David went in and ate the showbread. Eli's sons offered the wrong incense offering. There was sin in the holy place. Those had to be taken care of, but you couldn't get past that veil with sin. You couldn't get past the veil with darkness. It would be instant death if you even tried. So the soul of man is still corrupt. It's being transformed by the renewing of our mind, and the body is still corrupt. Scripture says that the flesh is at war with the spirit. So therefore, the enemy attacks in the soul, and in the body. This is why we say a lot of illnesses are related to the demonic. This is why we say things like depression can be related to the demonic because that's the playground. That's where sin can get in. So when you ask, can a believer be uh, have power exercised over them by a demon? The answer is yes. Yes. Because I have a soul and because I have a body. But the beauty is in the spirit, I have the authority to take uh, authority over that demon that comes into my soul or my body. Let me, let me show you some evidence of demons and believers. In John 10, 1, truly I say to you, he does not, talking about Satan, he does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep. Who's the great shepherd? Good answer. Always answer Jesus. It always works. Truly I say to you, he, the enemy, does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but he climbs in some other way, and he is a thief and a robber, and the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you can have life abundantly, so the enemy can get in another way. A door has to be opened, not the gate, because Jesus is the gate. Not the gate, but another door has to be opened. I'll show you that in a minute. So let me ask you something. For those of you who originally, when I said, can a Christian be uh, possessed? And again, I think the better word to use is oppressed because it's not ownership. A demon can oppress a Christian, okay? If Jesus said that Christians need deliverance, would you be okay with it? Would you accept that Christians can have demonic oppression if Jesus said Christians need deliverance? Well, you know I set you up. Let's go to the book of Mark. Book of Mark, chapter 7. Book of Mark. Something in this story that really can pop out. Mark 7, verse 24. Jesus got up, and he went away from there into the region of Tyre. And when he entered the house, he wanted to know, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast out the demon of her daughter. 
And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take of the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found her child laying on the bed, the demon having left. Let me show you some things about this. First of all, she's Greek. She's a Syrophoenician. In that day in Phoenicia, it was the sea of paganism. There was a tremendous amount of idol worship in Phoenicia, a lot of occult, a lot of sorcery in that culture. And this lady came out of that occult background, and guess what? Her child ended up with a demon. Parents, what you dabble in affects your kids. Let me just give you, I'm just going to lay this out here, drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. Don't want you to think about what's going on in neighborhoods all around us when I read this, okay? When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, let me ask you a question. If I'm reading the Old Testament and the Old Testament is a physical representation of the spiritual concept of the New Testament... Then when I enter the promised land in the Old Testament, what am I entering in the New Testament? The kingdom of God. See, some people think when they went into the promised land, that's a representation of going into heaven. It's not. How do I know that? Because when they crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land, they still had to fight to take the territory away from the enemy. We're talking about the kingdom of God. So when I read this Old Testament scripture, I'm applying the fact that we're stepping into the kingdom of God when it says promised land. Watch this. When you enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, the kingdom of God, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. One who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens or sorcerers, or one who casts spells or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead, zombies. For whoever <laughs> does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you and you shall be blameless before the Lord your God for those nations which you shall dispossess listen to those who practice witchcraft and diviners but as for you the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so this is what I want to read to you one more time you shall not learn to imitate witchcraft it's heartbreaking to see believers. I'm not talking about dressing up in costumes. I'm not talking about having candy. I'm talking about choosing the demonic to imitate during this time. Why did he call the Syrophoenician lady a dog? Do you notice he said in the scripture, I can't give this stuff to the dogs. In Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. Who is that? Who has a righteous robe on them? The believer. Jesus, always a good answer. <laughs> Jesus gives us a righteous robe. We are washed clean in the blood, correct? 
and we have access to the tree of life, which is eternal life, and we may enter into the gates of the city, which is the kingdom and heaven. Now watch. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral person and the murderer and the idolater and everyone who loves and practice lying. What is he saying? He's saying that there's a group of believers and then there's the dogs. They're the non-believers. They're the ones who don't follow the things of God. They're the ones who don't have a robe that's been washed white. They don't have a right to the tree of life. They don't enter into the key. So he's not talking about physical dogs. He's made a biblical term called the dogs. In Philippians 3.2, it says, Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of false circumcision. Now, he's not saying, watch out for those Labrador retrievers. Ooh, those mastiffs. No, he's saying false circumcision. What is circumcision? It is a sign of the covenant relationship with God. So a false circumcision is a false covenant with God. It's not a real covenant with God. So he's saying the dogs are those unbelievers. And yet she is asking for deliverance for her child. And Jesus says in a biblical language, it's not right for me to give, watch this, what belongs to the children of God to the dogs. Wait a minute. What was she asking for? Deliverance for her child. And Jesus said, it's not right for me to give you deliverance because it belongs to the church. Are you with me? That is what that script, that's what Jesus just said. He said, it's not right for me to give you deliverance. It belongs to the children. It belongs to ones whose robes have been washed. It belongs to the church. Why in the world would deliverance belong to the church if there was no demonic attack against the believer? Mm. So because the spirit of a believer is alive and the Holy Spirit is dwelling there, they have what they need to get the deliverance. They have the authority. But listen to me. Please listen close if you're here and you don't know Christ. If you deliver a lost person from a demon and they do not accept Christ, put the Holy Spirit in place, then the demon will leave and bring back seven more and it will be worse than it was from the beginning. This is stuff we have to know as a believer. Look at Matthew 12, 45. Maybe this will make sense to you now. Now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, you'll notice he didn't say saved or lost, but watch. Out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. What is the river of life? What flows out of our belly? What water? What is the water in scripture? It's the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that demon goes out looking for a place without the Holy Spirit, looking for a waterless place for him to land. Then it says, I didn't find a waterless place, so I'll return to my house from which I came, which tells us the water is not there because he's searching for a waterless place. I'll come back to where I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied. That's the story. 
That's the story. There's no Holy Spirit there. There's no alive spirit. There's no authority that can cast it out. So I'm going to go back to this place that is unoccupied. There's no water. There's no Holy Spirit here. It may be swept and put in order. It may have started going to church. It may read its Bible every day. It may not curse anymore. But guess what? It's still unoccupied by the water. It's unoccupied by the Spirit. Then it goes and it takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go and they live there. And listen to me, the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. And this is why, uh, that is the way it will also be in this evil generation. Are you seeing that? So when we talk about delivering someone from the demonic, it's important that they share the gospel. It's important that they know Christ. It's important that they get filled with the Holy Spirit because that demon can be cast out under your authority But if you cast that demon out under your authority and you don't lead that person to Christ, you're setting them up for a worse situation. Mm. Let me give you a couple other scriptures about the New Testament believers and warnings about Satan in your life so you can see how this demon relationship with us exists. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. That's the church. We are members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Christian, do not give the devil an opportunity for what? To take advantage of you because of your anger. Because anger is an open door. In order to give that demonic presence the opportunity to come, an unrighteous anger is an authority issue. You're giving up authority with that unrighteous anger and saying, you can come in and dwell because I have an open door called unrighteous anger. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven... If I have forgiven anything, I did it for the sake of the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we're not ignorant of his schemes. What did he just say? Unforgiveness is an open door. Forgive, because if you don't forgive, what you're doing, I gotta make this clear and simple. You're in the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of light. You are under God the Father. You have a Savior and a King named Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit to empower you. There is another kingdom over here called the kingdom of darkness. It's the prince of the power of the air. It has principalities and evil in it. Anytime someone in the kingdom of God decides to put their foot over into darkness, you have opened up the bridge. Are you hearing me? So when I go into unforgiveness, when I go into anger, when I go into drunkenness, when I go into adultery, what I'm doing is saying I want a bridge made between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God so that I can be tormented by the enemy. You with me? Okay. (laughs) Thank you for that. Wow. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle, you and me as believers, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting you. 
I'm not fighting you, but it's against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. What is that saying? Those are levels of authority in the kingdom of darkness. They each have a rank, rank and file in the kingdom of darkness. And he's saying, you're not battling each other. If I'm having a fight with you, I'm not having a fight with you. I'm having a fight with the spiritual of darkness that's somehow working into our relationship. And I've got to overlook that and go after the actual enemy. So if we have the Holy Spirit in us to protect us from darkness, then how can Satan have the opportunity to take advantage of us? Open doors. Open doors. Listen, I, as a believer, only, I only have authority because Christ gave me authority. When Christ gave me authority over the demonic, I can now exercise my authority over the demonic. But if I were not given that authority, I would not have that authority. Listen to me. When you open those doors by stepping into the darkness, you are giving the darkness authority in your life. It has power, but now it has the right. It has the right. Why? Because you came back into our territory. Because you stepped into our kingdom. Because you want to play with us? Okay, we're going to play with you. So we look at how do we open those doors. It's like this. If you left your home tonight and you came to church and you left the door of your house open, and you came home and there was a thief in your house. Let me ask you something. Does that thief own your house? No. Does that thief cause all kind of chaos in your life? Yes, because he's somewhere he's not supposed to be. Because we open the door and we let him in. So when we do drugs, when we do alcohol, when we do lust and fornication, when we turn our back on God, when we decide to go out on our own, when we decide that pride is important to us, that I'm going to do this my way and I'm going to deal with it myself, when we forget God, we're just opening the door and saying, darkness, come in. I'm giving you the right to come in and make a mess. Mm. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. And this is where believers have to stand on this. You have to understand that an unbeliever is ill-equipped to deal with the demonic. So if you're going to deliver them, it better be with the gospel. It better be with the gospel or you're going to put them in a worse situation. But there are believers right here, right now, in this room who are being oppressed by demons. You know it. You know what's going on in your life. You know that constant nag of pornography. You cannot get rid of it. You have tried in your flesh. You've tried in your soul. You've tried in your accountability system. But that thing is there, still there because the Bible says there's a spirit of lust that's operating in you. And I know you want to be broken free from that. Uh, maybe it's the spirit of anger. Maybe it's the spirit of division. Those things are operating in your life and you're thinking, why does my life have to be chaos like this? Why can't I ever get control of this? No matter how many times I try to put a system in place to get this out of my life, it's just still there. I'm still depressed. I still have anxiety. I don't know why it won't go away. It's because there's an open door and there's an authority that's been given and we got to cast that thing out and close that door. Luke 10, Luke 10, verse 17. Jesus sends out 70 disciples. He says, man, I've given you authority 
Now go do what that authority grants you to do. So the 70 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You think Jesus went, really? (laughs) See, he knew, he knew that the demons would be subject to the authority of his name. So this is how he responded. Yeah, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And behold, I've given you this authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And watch this. And over all the power of the enemy. You notice he didn't say the authority of the enemy. Why? Because when Jesus was resurrected, he said, I now have all all authority in heaven and on earth. Listen to me. If somebody has all authority, then everybody else has no authority unless it's granted to them. So the enemy has no authority. Zip, zero, does not have authority. Listen, that is so important, believer, that you understand that the demonic has no authority except that authority granted by you. Christ granted you authority over them The only thing you can do for them to mess with you is to grant them authority in your life. Nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. This is what I think he's saying. Guys, we're not going to make life about the demons. I don't want to give them any more time and attention than they need. I think they're a pain. I think they're a waste of time. I think they're a burden to me and I just want them out of my life so I can go on. And he's saying, look guys, the most important thing in your life is not that you have authority over the demons. The most important thing in your life is that you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, go do the things of the child of God and stop worrying about the demons. When they come along, use your authority and cast them out and get on down the road. Now, if you don't think that's what Jesus was thinking, look at the next scripture. At that very time, he, Jesus, rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Okay, I don't know about you, but that is a beautiful picture for me. That's Jesus going off to the side going, yes, yes, yes. He's watching demons just get cast right and left. And he's like, it's my kids. They're doing it. They're doing it. it." He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, O Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things. What things? The truth about the authority over the demons and the truth about the fact that they're in the kingdom of God. That you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, the Pharisees, and you've revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father and the father is except the son and anyone whom the son to reveal him whom the son wills to reveal him what did he just say he just said they don't know me until they know me and when they know me they have authority and they don't have to be messed with So what is Jesus's ministry if I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live? Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What is Christ's ministry in Luke 4? Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and he found a place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and said, this is now fulfilled in your sight. Let me show you what he just said. He said, I'm here because I've been baptized with the Spirit. I bring salvation. I bring deliverance. I bring healing. I set the captives free from the demons. I bring emotional healing, and all of that is available now. What do I have to fear if God is for me? Who can come against me if God is for me. So listen, this is what I want to do tonight. I believe that we have open doors. I believe that there are some of us in here who have opened a door and you don't even know why. You don't know what that door is. It's very easy to get trapped in this bondage and not understand why. But listen to me. No one wants you to know more than the Holy Spirit. He wants to reveal to you what you did. Where was that open door? Is there a bitterness? Is there an unforgiveness? Is there a pride in you? Maybe there's even a pride in your spiritual standing. So what I want to do is I want to let the Holy Spirit talk to us tonight. And when he reveals to us those things, we need to confess them before the Father. See, a lot of people don't understand. If I've been saved, why do I have to confess my sin? Watch this. Because your sin allows attack on your soul and on your body. Not on your spirit. It is eternally cleansed, holy, and ready for eternity. But your soul is not, and your body is not. And when I sin, I allow those things to come in. I need forgiveness to remove the consequences of my sin. I may still have to deal with some consequences if I slept with someone and they're pregnant. But I can be forgiven eternally so that I can cleanse my soul and cleanse my body and walk uprightly. We need to confess those things before God. We need to renounce the lies of Satan. If you haven't been a part of our inner healing program, that's one of the biggest pieces of that is you got lied to. You got lied to when your father beat you. You got lied to that men are evil. And now you're choosing to treat your husband that way because of how your father treated you because Satan said men are like this and you believed it. There are lies that we believe that we have to renounce those lies and say, Satan, you told me a lie. You told me I would be okay. You told me I would be protective if I got angry. But I'm not. It's an open door. And we need to do something called repentance. And repentance, I think, is a, is a word that's abused and overused and wrongly used in the church because repentance does mean to change your mind. The word metaneo. The mind and change. So we must change our mind. But listen to me. That's not flippantly. That's not, okay, I won't think that way anymore. I'm going to think this way. See, true repentance creates a change in action. In other words, if I have changed my mind that I was angry with my wife, but in metaneo, in repentance, I've decided I'm not going to be angry with her, then I must express love. 
or I haven't really repented. It's just a false wall that I put up called, I feel bad. I wish I didn't feel that way. I don't want to. So in repentance, we are saying, I want to change. I want to be different than this. I don't want to believe this way. I want a new belief system that drives me in a new direction. This is what I believe we do tonight. What we do tonight is we ask the Spirit, what have you brought that I can understand that has opened this door so you can show me so I can confess that, I can repent of that? Now listen to me. I would not dare go into a deliverance prayer with you if you're not a believer. So let me explain this briefly. If you don't know Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, I'm going to tell you quickly. There were offenses against God that you have already done. I did them. You've done them. Every person in the room has done them. We have rejected God. We have disrespected God. We have disobeyed God. We have not done what he asked us to. We have done things he told us not to do. All of us have done that. And when that sin occurs, there is a division. There's a break between us and God. But God says, I don't want that. I want you to be with me eternally. But we have to take care of that offense. We have to take care of that sin between you and I because it's caused that separation. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Jesus He's going to come and walk the earth. And you know what? He's never going to sin, never offend me, never do anything wrong. So that if he died, he would go straight to heaven because he's righteous before me. He's in right standing with me. And he's going to walk out that life all the way to the point where it's time to die. But then he's going to do something remarkable for you. Jesus is going to take your punishment, your condemnation. For every sin you ever do in your life, Jesus is going to take it on himself and he is going to bear it. We read a scripture a while ago that said for all men, the just and the unjust, he took the sins of the world on himself. He was crucified in your place. He died in your place. He took the punishment in your place. He took the condemnation in your place. He took the separation from God when he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because God had pulled away from me because he was bearing the sin of the world. But then he did something beautiful. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus came back from the dead after paying that debt. After paying that punishment, after paying that condemnation, he had the authority. (laughs) He had the authority over death. So he said, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? I'm out of here. He came back and he showed himself to over 500 people. Why is that important? Because if he died and was buried and we never saw him again, we think he was a good guy that said a bunch of good stuff and now he's gone. But he came back. And he said, there's a life after this one. I can grant you access to it. How do you get access to that life after this one? By believing in what he did for you. See, because when he takes all of your punishment and you put all your faith in that, you stand before God hidden in Christ. So I stand before God and I say, I know I've sinned, but I know that Jesus took care of all the punishment for that. So I stand righteous before you because I'm standing in Jesus's righteousness because he took my condemnation. And God says, well done, welcome in for eternity, you're with me. If you're here tonight and you do not believe that Jesus took the consequence and punishment for you, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, I am begging with you right now. Your eternity is on the line tonight. 
Your eternity is on the line, separated from God or with God. And the thing that stands in the way is your belief. Will you repent of thinking you can do this on your own and get to heaven on your own? Will you change your mind and say, I'm going to believe that I need Jesus and what he did on the cross? Because when you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and you believe that he died for your punishment, for your consequences, and that he was risen from the grave for your justification, the Bible says, so that it's just as if you'd never sinned, then God gives you eternal life. He welcomes you into the family. Your spirit comes to life. You now have that Holy Spirit dwelling in you, sealed in you, ready for the day of redemption, ready to fight the enemy. I ask you to close your eyes. Ask yourself that question. Do I know Jesus as my Savior? Do I believe in his death for me and his resurrection for me? Maybe you just want to have a conversation with God that sounds something like this. Maybe you just repeat after me. Okay, God, I get it. I've offended you. I've broken the relationship with you. And it can only be mended if somebody pays the consequence, the punishment for what I did wrong. And I understand that Jesus did it on the cross. He was beaten. He was separated from you, God. He endured death in my place. But I thank you, God, that I believe that he took my punishment and then he rose from the dead to grant us eternal life, to show us that it's there and the scripture says that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and nobody gets to God except by him. And I believe, God, today that I need him to spend an eternity with you. So I believe. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm trusting in what he did. I'm ready for you to seal me with the spirit, to fill me with the spirit, and begin working in my life. I want to be in the kingdom of light. I want to take every part of me out of the darkness, and I want to be in the kingdom of life. I want to close all the doors that I've opened. I repent, God, and I believe in Jesus. All eyes closed. If you're here tonight, and tonight you're going to make the decision, okay, I need Jesus. I need to believe in what he did for me and that it was for me, and so tonight I'm going to put my faith and trust in that. If that's you, just me and you, eyes are closed. I just want you to raise your hand and say, I made that decision tonight. Just raise your hand. That'll tell me that you made that decision. Awesome. I see you. Anybody else? Praise God. Praise God. You can put your hand down. Okay, so what just happened, if you put your faith in what Jesus did and you've made that decision to believe it, it's Christ has regenerated your spirit. He's You've been born again. Your spirit's been brought to life. So now you have the tools. You have the equipment. You can fight against this world. You can fight against this darkness. I'd like the following people to join me up here at the stage. Uh, the Fieldings, Tim Quackenboss. I need the elders, please. Jan, I need you up here. Michelle, why don't you come up here? I need you guys just stand, face the audience. Here's what I want to do tonight because I don't think we play with these things. There are people in this room who need to be delivered tonight. There's oppression that's come over you. So I'm going to ask you right now to take a moment all by yourself and ask the Spirit, what is it? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it anger? 
what have I done to open the door that this oppression is on me? Let him tell you. Take this moment right now. It's between you and him, not me and you, you and him. When he shows you those things, confess it to him. I have been angry. I have been bitter. I did not forgive that person. I have been involved in pornography. I've been involved in fornication. I've been involved in adultery. I've been involved in some kind of sexual impurity that opened the door. I've been unfair. I've been unjust. I've been unrighteous. Now you renounce Satan in that. Satan, I won't believe you anymore. I won't believe that it's okay. I won't believe that I'm going to be safe. I'm going to confess this to God. I'm going to be made whole. I'm going to be clean. Tell God you repent of that. I want my mind changed. I don't want to want that anymore. I don't want to believe in that lie anymore. You do business with God right now. Get the door closed. Confess it. Repent of it. Renounce it. Tell him you're done with it. I'm going to ask you to all stand to your feet. Stand to your feet where you are. I want to tell you something. When we use the authority of Jesus Christ to cast out a demon, there can be manifestation. You may feel a queasiness come over your body. You may begin to cough. You may feel like you're choking or that you want to vomit. You may begin making a noise or a growl or something. Listen to me. I'm not afraid of those things anymore. They're not weird anymore. They're part of the deliverance process. It verifies that we have cast that thing out because, listen, it does not want to leave. But I watched a preacher on a video today say it like this. Here's how the demons act. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. You can't cast me out. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. There's nothing you can do. You can't cast me out. No, no, you don't have that authority. You can't cast me out. Why? Because it's the authority of Jesus that forces them to leave. And we're going to operate in that authority. Why don't you put your hands out and up this way as if you're in receiving mode. And I want you to say, Father, out loud, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I ask you to release me from every bondage in Jesus' name. Now I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, by the authority you've given me, I take authority over Satan and the demonic spirits. And I command you to leave here in Jesus' name. And it's in the authority of Jesus Christ. These are the sons and daughters of God covered in the blood of Jesus. And they are overcomers by that blood and the word of their testimony, their belief in Jesus. So I take authority over every spirit of bitterness, forgiveness, resentment, hate, malice, envy, or jealousy. And I command you to go. I rebuke every spirit of insecurity or inferiority or rejection or 
safe health or safe destruction, self-destruction, suicide, anger, rage, murder, violence, sexual immorality or impurity, adultery, fornication, lust, pornography, all forms of sexual impurity. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. I command the spirit of pride to go, the spirit of lying, the Jezebel spirit, rebellion, manipulation or control. I command you to go and every spirit of criticism, judgmentalism, arrogance, racism, prejudice, every spirit of greed, materialism, and covetousness, selfishness, ambition, depression, anxiety, addiction, drunkenness, drugs, gluttony, I command you to go now in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of legalism, religious pride, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Any heresy or false doctrine, I command you to go. Every spirit of stealing, slothfulness, laziness, unbelief, rebellion to authority, I command you to go in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of sickness, disease, affirmity, I command you to go in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of witchcraft, the occult, or blasphemy, I command you to go in the name of Jesus. I break every word curse, every spell broken into my, uh, spoken into my brothers and sisters in Christ, every generational curse, I break it, I command it to be null and void. Every demonic spirit within my hearing, I command you to go and release these people in the name of Jesus. I command you to leave now in the name of Jesus. Get out. We cast you out in the name of Jesus. We do not have to endure this. We are sons and daughters of God covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and in his authority we command every demonic spirit to leave in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Everyone say in Jesus name. Now lift your hands up to the sky and say Lord right now I receive the Holy Spirit. Will you fill me with the Holy Spirit in every place that the evil spirits have left. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit from my head to my toe. We receive you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Now, church, let's worship. Let's worship. Let's worship. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at reviveusnow.com. We're excited that Pastor Todd has released his latest book called Old is the New. The Old Testament is filled with stories that seem amazing on their own, but they also leave questions. If they are history and not part of the new covenant that we have with Christ today, then why do we need these stories at all? What are they for? Could it be that those stories were recorded and saved for us because there is something they can teach us? Could it be that those stories actually help us understand God and the new covenant he has with us? Could it be that somehow those stories guide, teach, and help us understand what God has for us as new covenant believers? And finally, could there be hidden mysteries in these stories that actually give us revelation for today? This new book is available now on Amazon. The podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area, 
or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.